This is the Personal Finance Show. Hi, I'm Bo Humphreys, and this is The Personal Finance Show. Before I introduce this week's guest, I want to tell you about the new book giveaway. Last month, I gave away a copy of Sean Cooper's Burn Your Mortgage. Congrats to Allison from Manitoba as the winner of a signed copy of the book. From June 15th to July 31st, 2018, I'll be running a new giveaway for five signed copies of the new book, Cashflow Cookbook, written by today's guest, Gord Stein. Thanks to Gord for donating five copies and signing all of them. So if you like the episode and want a copy of the book, just go to bohumphreys.com slash giveaway and enter for a chance to win one of the books. Gord Stein wants you to build $2 million in wealth over the next 10 years. If you implement every cash flow savings idea in his book and then take that saved money and invest it over 10 years at 7%, you will have an extra $2 million. How does that sound? Okay, maybe every part of the book doesn't apply to you, but with 60 different cash flow recipes, you'll find some area of your life where you can save. The point is that wherever you're spending money in your life, you need to review that spending every so often to see that it makes sense. Are you paying $100 a month for a storage locker? What's really in there? Could you sell the stuff and invest the $100 a month instead? Do you buy your lunch every day at work for $10? That's $50 a week, $2,500 a year. If you invested $50 a week for 10 years, you would have $38,000. In 20 years, $114,000. This isn't about giving up stuff. It's about making little changes in your expenses that don't really impact your quality of life, but free up small amounts of cash flow. And if you apply these little changes to all the areas of your life, the little bits add up. Gord spent two years compiling the list for you and put it all in a handy guide he called the Cash Flow Cookbook. He sat down with me in Toronto to tell his personal finance story. I've got three children, and I always thought it was really important to teach them about money because it's a big journey for people, and a lot of parents don't take the time to really explain it to their they kids. They don't. They don't you know? at all. So my eldest son, Connor, he came to me one day. He was probably about 10. He said, Dad, just so you know, I'm really tracking well against the sheet. And, and I said, what are you talking about? He said, Dad, he goes, the sheet. I go, what, what sheet? What are you talking about? He said, Dad, the sheet, and he pulls out this worn piece of paper, the dog-eared piece of paper, and I looked at it, and the penny dropped, and I had probably sat down with him three years earlier. He said, Dad, how's money work? Like, how do people save money? Why do you save money? How do you get ahead? How's it all work? Okay. And he might have been seven years old at the time. (laughs) And so I said, okay, let's sit down. Let's do a spreadsheet. So I said, how much money do you have now? He goes, well, I got $41 in my bank account. I said, okay, great. So let's, how much can you save over this next year? Anyway, we kept going with this and growing the interest and everything. We took him all the way to age... 40 when he had wow, a million dollars okay. on the <laughs> Nice. Right? And his eyes were just wide at the time. He was maybe seven. Mm-hmm. He said, Dad, can you print that off for me? Mm. I said, sure. Anyway, he took away. I never thought anything of it. But he meticulously tracked his progress against that sheet. And, you know, fast forward now, he's a young man. So started working a couple of years ago in Ottawa. Doesn't buy a new car. You know, great <laughs> earnings as a software engineer. Goes out and he buys a three-year-old Toyota Corolla. You know, has it all paid off Amazing. within three months. 
you know, doesn't get his own apartment, shares the place with someone else. Anyway, savings just keep on going. He's maxed out his TFSA. He's got his RSP covered. Dad, I need to open a cash account. Right? <laughs> and just being smart the whole way through. He's not giving up anything. He's traveled. He's done all kinds of great things. But yeah. He's been smart. He could have written cash flow cookbook. He started early. He and sure well, did. And you started him early. And I don't Absolutely. know if people think that there's a time or a certain age that you need to start this, but probably... It's never too early, right? I think that's it. And I think it's just about it's about a headspace. It's about doing a lot of things smarter. It's about taking the time to learn something about money. And if I look at what's happening with Canadians and their money, the statistics are stunning. Debt being 170%. Yeah, I always I, I quote that, that one a lot, and it just seems so strange. Like, why? Like, why would you... Like, who told you that was okay? Yeah, well, <laughs> I, when I wrote the book, which just a few months ago... It was 165%. Oh. Latest printing, I had to update it because now it's 170%. People taking out the average car loan is now 69 months. Man. Right? So people just doing all of these financial things backwards. And so that was my interest and excitement so in getting a book to help. Just to break that down, yeah. so because we do, we do say that 170%, what does that actually mean? Like if we broke that down in terms of like what somebody has in terms of money in the bank versus how much they owe, is that mm-hmm. basically it? Well, that one, that particular stat is how much they owe um, as a percentage of their annual income. Okay. And it excludes mortgage debt. So it's so. Let's say somebody makes. Uh, well, just to keep it simple. Somebody yeah. makes a hundred thousand dollars a year. They probably have one hundred and seventy thousand dollars in debt. In debt. The majority of Canadians is that yeah. the stat? That's the that's the average Canadian. Wow. Right. And of course, if you make a hundred thousand dollars a year, the payments on one hundred and seventy thousand dollars in debt are not crazy for yep. you. Yep. So you're just going to maintain. Well, they can kind of fit it in the budget. Yeah, right? it fits so in. They, that's the the headspace, I think. But then there was a stat, another one along these lines of um, that the of the Canadians, 55 to 64, who don't have company pensions, mm, which is the majority them, now. Majority, yeah. Half of them only have one year's worth of financial resources saved for retirement. What? So they're relying on OAS hope. and CPP. They're, I think they're relying on hope. <laughs> <Our> hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like so, hope, hope of what? Like the lottery? All the way across the board. Even you look at, you know, we talked about, you know, my, my kids in university. If you look at the average student in university, there's only about half of them are there with an RESP funding their journey. So the government's handing out $7,500 per student. Yeah. And only half of the parents taking up that deal. Of the half who take it up, they only use 34% of that government grant money. But they can't see the future. Is that, is that the reason? They're, they don't have a good outlook. They, they, they've not looked forward. Somebody didn't have the discussion I had with my son around how to manage their finances. Yeah. And it's about being smart about it. It's about doing a lot of things right and setting up your finances in a way where you can take advantage of RESPs and TFSAs and all of these different things. But people feel like they can't even... If you feel you can't save for yourself, then it's really hard to save for your kid. Or maybe they are motivated to save for the kid because they have a kid. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, typical Canadian at all income levels, you know, I'm talking mm-hmm. about people who make three, four, oh, yeah. five hundred thousand, they're right up to here because at that level, you know, there's private school payments, there's nanny payments, there's BMW payments, there's, you know, cottage maintenance. And it's really about setting up your affairs in a way at any financial level where you've got this room to invest and room to build some financial freedom. So how did you not end up like this like you know i'm gonna take a guess you're in the 55 to 64 range am i wrong i'm 41 yeah. that's, it's a no i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> but, 
you know, I'm 56. I, you could have yeah. got me if yeah. I wasn't 38. So, <laughs> <laughs> and also you've had yeah. a, you've had a couple of careers already. So yeah, for sure. Um, I'm really glad I didn't embarrass myself yeah, right yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah, no, don't worry. <laughs> but if you would have been 54, I still would have been pretty close. That's it. So I'm glad you're in that range, and yeah. I'm uh, I'm uh, not kicking myself right now. So, and you're in a situation, obviously, where you don't, you probably don't have to worry financially. Mm -hmm. So, who taught, did somebody sit down with you when you were seven? Uh, no. <laughs> no, no did one did. you have the opposite? I probably, you know, I probably got started um, reading The Wealthy Barber, oh. like most Canadians. And that really started my head thinking a bit of a different way. Because prior to that, you know, the idea of saving, well, what am I going to save it for? And then I'll spend it later. I didn't really get the whole idea. And when you started with that book, and I really recommend people read a personal finance book a month, just pick one. Mm -hmm. Spend $20 a month. Everybody has $20 a month. Read a different personal finance book each month. And then you start to really understand the power of this thing. You start to understand the power of compound interest. You start to understand about how, how to get that money ahead of you, how to get the money working for you. Um, and then in the end, it, it does the heavy lifting you don't need to. It really does. And, and uh, so if you started... So I'm I'm saying the wealthy barber. Well, when would you have read it? When oh, it came I think out? I was. Yeah, I think it, I think I heard him speak. I heard uh, yeah, Chilton David speak Chilton. when I was I don't know twenty. Yeah, it's in your, and, yeah, and that was got me 90s? started. Was yeah, it in the nineties, uh, late nineties? Yeah, that'd maybe. be about right. Yeah, and so the, just to just to give a quick summary of or the the key from the wealthy barber is yeah. pay yourself first yeah. and you know t ten percent of your income. This is what the barber in the character in the book did. Right. right. And David Chilton goes to his barber, surprised to find that his barber is a millionaire or a multimillionaire. Yeah. And how did you do that? Just being a barber. And mm -hmm. as you just said, it's, it's you start early and, and consistent. When you're at a later stage in your life or at the peak of your career, say, you can, you can start to see that money making, its, making money for itself. Well, that's right. And then it just, if you just, if you know what you're doing, you set things up right, it just takes off. And you're set. There was a nurse, 2010, a nurse who died in Canada, and she left $8 million to charity. Mm. Single nurse. Wow. And she just was diligent the whole way through, and away she went. And it's because, well, how old was she at this time, probably the time of her death? Oh, Maybe oh in her I think 80s she died or... in her 80s yeah, or whatever, so... but it's, just, it's the power of compounding. It's about being smart with her money, about being consistent. And let the growth do the work for you. If you look at a, a compound interest graph, which maybe yeah. uh, some people have, mm -hmm. it is at the tail end yeah. where everything just skyrockets. It. It's uh, it's kind of crazy, and it's just unfortunate that it's so long from now that we that that, that tail end of the graph is because everybody wants instant gratification now, right? right? And right. so it's that patience. And so, personal finance book a month, great advice. And Wealthy Barber, a great one to start with, and Canadian, of course. And so you were reading this, and you started, well, you started working, or you were, uh, did you start before university, or? Oh, I probably worked when I started working when I was about 15. And were you, were you okay, so you were, but were you a saver before that? You know, to a degree, but I didn't really get it. And, you know, okay, yeah. I graduated, I bought a brand new car, because I thought I graduated, you know, I'll buy a brand new car. Sure. But then you start to see all of these lessons and how to be that much more clever, right? Mm -hmm. I just I just actually got rid of my last car, 262,000 kilometers. Wow, nice. Ran great all that period of time. Sure. And, you know, maybe I spent, you know, a couple thousand a year on maintenance. 
but it wasn't spending you know five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars a month on car payments. That's right. And interest. So it's about making some changes, getting this money working for you. I think anyone whatsoever can start. And that was the impetus for Cash Flow Cookbook because many people said, "Hey, I don't have the money." It sounds like a great idea, people but say I'm that right a up lot. to here. I don't have the money. The reality is, they all have the money. And that was the journey in the book was helping people to find where can that money come from. You can find it. You can find it anywhere if you if you want to look. Now, your background is not in uh, finance, though. You know what? I've always had an interest in it. So yeah. I did a uh, engineering degree initially, okay. and uh, then I did an MBA in marketing and finance. And then I got very interested in Well, you did an MBA in marketing and finance. Well, you got some um, I got finance some background. background. Yeah. yeah and I go. took the Canadian Securities course. Okay, so there you well. go. So I found that fascinating. Um, years and years and years of managing my own money and investing. Sure. And then about being smart uh, as a consumer in terms of how do you buy things smarter. Mm-hmm. It's not about clipping coupons. It's not about credit card rewards. It's about none of those things. It's about all the different transactions that you do across every aspect of your life and what's the clever way of doing those things to free up uh, some money to invest and save or pay down debt if that's your situation. It's about thinking about what it is you're doing. And now, of course, not all of these things would be obvious to people, so it's really nice that you have it all in this book. Now, you wouldn't have thought of this stuff immediately as you were, you know, you were, you kind of built these ideas in your head as you were going and then there was like uh, a trigger for the book. Yeah. Somebody mentioned something to you about yeah. your, your wasting money or, or possibly saving. Yeah. I mean, it all started, I had no idea I was even going to write the book. I, I knew there was a huge need for this book because all the personal finance books, including Wealthy Barber, they all start with the premise about saving 10%. Mm-hmm. Nobody gives you the part about, well, hang on, whoa, 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 how do I free Where up Where do I money? get it? Where do I get the 10%? <laughs> Where does the 10% so, come from? Cashflow Cookbook is the only one that I've ever seen that actually answers that question. Excellent. And that was Rob Carrick from The Globe. That was his comment on the book. Well, that's, yeah. This is new, right? So where the book started, I was just driving to an event with a good friend of mine, Peter, and he plucked a um, car wash receipt out of the console of my car for $13. And he said, you know, why would you spend money on a car wash? And I thought, you know, at the time I was an executive, a high-tech executive. I thought, well, I can afford it. Whatever. I mean, yeah. are you kidding me? Thirteen dollars. I spent thirteen dollars. Anyway, on I breakfast. said, well, what, what are you recommending? And he said, you know, you get the. He says, I go to ESO. He goes, I get the ESO rewards card, mm-hmm. and then you present that. You know, you put it in the machine after you, your credit card, and da da da, and you save the points, and you fill in a form and get a car wash. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm not going to do all that. That's ridiculous. And then a couple weeks later, someone was talking about this little ESO speed pass, the little yeah, keychain really dongle. Handy. They're giving them a free plug here. And then I thought, well, that's interesting because it's actually easier to pay for your gas, and it automatically logs the points. I thought, I'm in. So I got one. I was saving $25 a month on car washes. And I thought, well, why don't I just get one for my wife? And then there's 50 And then not long after that, I heard the radio ad for these uh, the monitoring center, these home alarm monitoring people. Mm-hmm. $10 a month. And I thought, well, I'm paying 35 So I called them up. I said, great, let's do it. I've had them monitoring my house for years now, and it works. We've had some false alarms. We've had the police here. There's not compromising anything. So, <laughs> and that was, so now I'm up to $75 a month. And I thought, well, this is pretty interesting because these were no effort things. I didn't give up a single thing, but I'm $75 a month ahead. Now, mm-hmm. $75 a month isn't really going to change a whole lot. But my engineering curiosity and my drive for efficiency and the MBA and everything kicked in. I thought, well, what else is there? And so that led me to a two-year journey of building this massive spreadsheet where I said, what are the best hacks? What are the best ideas? Minimal sacrifice, minimal time to set it up that starts to free up money. So it started with a $75 a month idea. 
and the thing actually grew to total savings of ideas of about $13,000 of monthly savings ideas. Would you do all of them? Probably not. No. But I thought that's interesting, and if you apply everything, in the book I talk about a hearty serving, which is someone like me, married, kids, cell phones, sure. cottage, all the rest of it. Um, and if you implement everything in the book, and you invested that for 10 years, 7%, you have over $2 million. Just for 10 years, right? Because, I mean, years. people might start doing this early and, you and do, it for, uh, 20 do years, it for 20 And it's about $6.7 million. So what, there, there's a couple of things I like about this. Yeah. First is you did, you're going and doing an audit of your spending, which I think, if anything, this book will instigate everybody should do an audit. You should do an audit like of everything that you do, right? So like, am I doing this the right way or am I just doing it the way that somebody told me to do right. it? And what's the biggest thing, biggest savings item for you? Like the one that uh, got up to the 13, uh, is there oh, like one there, that's a big chunk? In yeah, there's so many. Oh, there's I mean, so all these little bits. Yeah, so in the book, each chapter, each recipe in Cashflow Cookbook starts with a little vignette and there's some fun characters. There's mm -hmm. heroes and there's you nice. know, heroines uh, in the story and there's... there's uh, detractors. And so those little opening stories have a one-time money-saving idea. Okay. And then the main idea of each recipe, it's all about how to chop down these recurring savings because that's where the big yeah, things happen. So really interesting one-time savings idea <clears throat> was uh, actually the same son, Connor, who's a great piano player. The vignette that's in there is a true story. Mm -hmm. It's a one-time savings thing. So he had this little cheap electronic keyboard. And mm -hmm. He really wanted a, a proper piano, and my wife thought that we should, should really get him a piano. You know, pianos, of course, not cheap. I'm right? a piano player. So All right. Okay. Know, yeah. So you know, three, four thousand dollars for a nice piano. Yeah. If, piano. You, you're talking about an upright piano. Yeah. Yes. Before yeah. you get into the grand piano. Exactly. Yeah. And. Um, so I thought, okay, you know, it's a lot of money, but, you know, we found a reconditioned one really nice. I think we paid about $4,000, bought this piano. Now, what I didn't know at the time is that near the end of every month in Kijiji, you can find all kinds of pianos, as nice as the one we have sitting right there, mm. and they're free. Yeah. Because pianos are big, and they're awkward, and when people move, they got to move, and good luck getting rid of them. It's so hard to move a piano. I helped my friend move mm -hmm. his upright because mm -hmm. it it's his grandma's piano, mm -hmm. and he wanted to keep it in yeah. the family. Yeah. And to get it to the new place, they had to get a crane. Yeah, <laughs> a yeah that's it. A crane. A crane. And so, of course, you know, a lot of people might be like, sorry, grandma, you know, I'm not going to use the crane. Somebody else will come and get it, you know, and take it off our hands. And so did, did you actually then end up doing that? So, no, we, we bought the one you, you see have sitting the one, right over you there. You have the one there. Um, now, when we downsize, you know, mm. we'll probably end up giving that piano away because sure. you can't sell a used piano. Now I got There's smarter. So many. That's it. I got smarter. So when I bought, uh, I learned this lesson. It's in the book. One of the little one-time vignettes. <clears throat> and um, so more recently when I, I bought an uh, electric guitar, Fender Stratocaster, um, it would have been $2,500 to get it out of a music store. Mm -hmm. Kijiji, you can have your pick. As I talked about in the book, you can set up a Kijiji alert for exactly yeah. the one that you want. Perfect. I wanted a Sienna Finish, American Standard Stratocaster, Maple Neck, and I just waited. Up pops the email. Hey, here's one right here. Wow. So I spent 1000 instead of 2500 So that's a one-time savings things. And this is not for anything urgent, right? This is the best part. And, and uh, so if it's not something urgent, yep. set up your alerts. Yeah, do yep. it for flights, too. I mean, do you have any, uh, flights in there as well? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's all in, I get it's all in like a flight. I'm going to Australia. Flight yep. alert's coming up. So th there's that, but it also teaches you patience. I want that guitar now. 
Oh, maybe I don't need it right now. Maybe I well, don't it doesn't need matter it. if I get the guitar in a week. I mean, it, it's yeah. you know not exactly. a big deal. On the um, on the recurring savings, there's so many that are really interesting. I mean, uh, one was one that we discovered when our boys were young. We had two kids and um, send them to daycare. And then you got you know you got to drive somewhere and all the rest of it. But you get a nanny. Nanny's pretty expensive. Talking to my neighbors across the street, we said, why don't we just split a nanny? Okay. So we jointly hired a nanny. We paid her more than we would have as an individual nanny. And she, you know, looked after their kids for a couple of weeks. Then she'd move over to our house. So All right. she had three or four kids at a time, moved from house to house. She was out earning her nanny peers. Um, it was dramatically cheaper than us paying for our own nanny. So Perfect. when you think about something like that, now you're starting to get into, um, you know, some significant... Um, you know, benefits. We talked about that one. That was saving about a thousand dollars a month. Sure. Yeah. So these things are expensive. It's it's you know, there's an easy savings. So what's that worth? You think about over ten years, it's hundred and seventy thousand dollars. Wow. And over twenty years, five hundred and fifteen thousand dollars. So that one switch is more than many people retire on. That's amazing. And you wouldn't think about it, you think I got a couple of kids, I need a nanny. Now, I, what I'm noticing is a lot of this stuff involves first of all talking to other people. <laughs> <laughs> And talking to them about your your money, and I mm-hmm. think uh, that might be a barrier for a lot of people. Like, first of all, I'm embarrassed that I spend so much, or I want you to know how much I make. Why do you think we still have this stigma? Like, what is it about talking about money that that people have made it so shameful to? Oh, I'm doing the wrong thing, or you're spending too much. Like when your friend said that to you about the SO car wash, you were like, whatever, I can buy right. car washes, you know? Like screw right. you, almost, right? But oh, but you know what? Maybe right away that was your reaction, like, I'm good, and then you thought about it. Well, and you know what, I think the reaction's right, because if I save $25 a month on a car wash, that's not really going to have a big impact, even if I do it for 50 years. Not thinking but, about it. But that's just one thing. Yeah. And so when you start to think about all these other things, um, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day about the whole storage lockers, and you see these storage lockers popping up everywhere, and they keep getting more and more elaborate. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it from the side of an investor... Love it. Love yeah, to invest exactly. in the storage lockers. Now, I think about from the side of a consumer, and you think what typically happens, how do you get a storage locker? You know, people get divorced yep. or they downsize a house, so they've got all this stuff, and you're emotionally invested in the stuff. And so you can't just give it away, of course, because it's your stuff. So you put in a storage locker, you're spending three, four, five hundred $500 a month on the storage locker. Now, here's a different perspective. If you've ever tried to clear out a house, if you've yep. had a parent die, you literally can't give away all of this priceless furniture. You have to pay. I had to pay someone to, you know, to take away. We had an auction for my grandparents' stuff. We, had, we sold a got? couch for six dollars. I mean, right. it was like okay. a, the worst. It was kind of the worst because, yeah. like, this means my grandparents. They had this stuff for years, and yeah. So, what do people do instead? Then you just forget the storage locker. I think you, you know you sell the stuff off in Kijiji, and you know what? If it didn't work in your old house and you've downsized, you don't have a place for it, and it's probably not going to work in the place after that either because the styles are going to change or the color scheme will be different. So, you know, people spending this month after month in a storage locker, I think, is is ludicrous. This is the basement uh, thing, right? Yep. All of this stuff in the storage yep. locker. If you have a basement, it's down there. Yep. And I think people should do an audit of that stuff mm-hmm. way more often because maybe you keep your current house because you think, well, I got all this stuff in the basement. Right. Where am I going to put it? Right. And it turns out that all the stuff that you really want to keep, say, maybe it's photos, but maybe you can even digitize those photos. But maybe, let's say you just like the paper photos. There's probably a couple of boxes there. Yep. 
And what else are we talking about? Heirlooms passed down, things like that. These are usually small things. Like nobody passes down a couch. You know, I, really. I mean, this is my great grandfather's. No, of course, my my wife refinished uh, her great grandparents' uh, table, which is amazing, and that kind of made it our way. But those are the kind of things you can display in your house, and you're not going to put those away. So if yeah. you're not going to use it, is that kind of the a lot of the theme in the book? If you don't use it, lose it? You know what? It goes right across the board. In Cashflow Cookbook, I took a look at everything from household expenses to mm-hmm. lifestyle to food and drink to financial. Yeah, what are some, uh, what, what's a good financial one? Like in terms of, are you talking about bank fees or mutual funds? All of that, All the of whole that. bit. So, you know, one of the ones that's pretty interesting, I think something like two-thirds of the people who um, sign up for a mortgage get mortgage life insurance from oh, their yes. bank. Oh, yes. Yeah, that right? one. Of course, the banks love it because it's a terrific margin product. Um, it's one of the ones that we talk about uh, in Cashflow Cookbook. So with the mortgage life insurance, if you compare to the cost of getting the equivalent amount of term life insurance, let's say you borrow half a million dollars. So the bank will um, say to you, geez, you know, you want to protect that because your non-working spouse here won't be able to make the payments if you die. That's right. And that premise is correct. Sure. So you definitely want to protect against that. But the bank will quote you a number, which will seem very, very small relative to the cost of the monthly mortgage payments. Yeah. And the very strong temptation is, yes, dear, you know, we need to do that. So you sign up. You're like, in the room with the, the bank manager. Away you go. Like, well, of course, I'll take it, right? You right. just don't want to think about it. Right. But here's the part that doesn't get talked about. It can be three, four, or five, or six times more expensive than going to get a term life policy from a insurance account, life insurance company for that same half a million dollars. So there's mm. a, right away there's a savings there which I'll come back to the savings in a minute. But the other thing is, if you get the term life policy, you're insuring yourself for half a million dollars of coverage in addition to whatever other you're policies you're just buying an amount, have. right? Right. Yeah. Now, with the mortgage life insurance, you're insuring the mortgage, which starts at half a million, but you're going to pay the same premium, which are three, four, five, six times more than term life insurance, on your very last mortgage payment, which might mean you have a balance of $1,000. Seriously? That's how it works. That's terrible. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it, it does sound like the banks. I'm not a huge fan yeah. of, of the banks and their, and their yeah. products. Yeah. I used to think that they were there to help me. Yeah. And it turns out they're just like another company right. trying to make profits. Well, and nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that. They, they provide lots of that's value. That's what they do, as long as we know that. Right, as long as you know, you know, there's a better way of doing that, which I would argue is with term life insurance, mm-hmm. much cheaper. So something like that is the sort of thing we might be able to save sixty a hundred dollars a month two hundred dollars a month and then right away my my view would be right away don't look at the money don't go to the mall right away you lock that into your tfsa payments if that's the right thing for your rsp payments your resp or some other or if you need to pay down debt put that right to your consolidated debts if you're coming out of bankruptcy whatever the case may be sounds like that's that's the key to cash flow cookbook if you're right. saving money but then you go and, and right. buy donuts with it Absolutely. Uh, that's not yeah. you're not going to yeah. get your two million dollars yeah. in 10 years you gotta so you know just to, to skip to that for a mm-hmm. second where would you where would you invest this money so where you you know you've been uh, investing for mm-hmm. a while i'm guessing mm-hmm. uh, over yeah. over the years yeah what's uh What's your personal policy? Where does your money go? Yeah. How did you How did you learn about it at first? Yeah. Yeah. So um, now I assume you're talking about uh, what to invest in as opposed to what vehicle TFSA. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about uh, that's a separate separate thing in terms of like what's the most tax efficient place to put your stuff. I mean, you know, generally try to max those things out. You know, but uh, I'm I'm just thinking, how did you know what to invest in when you started, and who taught you, and how did you learn? Great. So. 
in addition to reading a lot of personal finance books, The Wealthy Barber and Richard Well, the CSE, Babylon, I forgot you took that. All those things, took yeah. the Canadian Securities course. So I've always been an avid, this sounds a bit weird, an avid reader of annual reports, quarterly reports, um, sure. company research, a lot of these kinds of things. So my approach, and, and you have to look at your personal situation, yeah. you know, I mean, it might be smart if you've got a lot of debt. I don't think you want to invest in anything. You need to pay that debt down. That, I that's think a that's guaranteed a great idea. Yeah. Return. So let's assume you're out of debt. And depending on what age and stage you're at and how soon do you need the money. So if mm-hmm. the money is a long-term thing, then, yeah, I think it makes sense to invest in equities, meaning stocks. Yeah. If you need the money for a house down payment because you want to buy a house in two years, you don't want it in the market. Just you want it in GICs, cash. Or, cash yeah, something GICs, that you can something pull like out within a certain so, amount of time. So, you know, in terms of equities, I think um, what people miss is they miss these massive trends and changes that are coming. I mm. shake my head when I see these analysts say, well, it might be time to rotate out of tech into consumer discretionary. To me, that's lunacy. No one's rotating out of technology. Technology is building these massive shifts. Mm. They're not going away. The trend to internet shopping and e-commerce, it's not going away. The trend to AI, it's not going away. All of these things are massive. And they're just going to keep going because the power of them is phenomenal. But you know this stuff because you're in the tech business. Right. Is this, right. like, how do we, if we're not, you know, in it like you or yeah. we don't understand, how, who do we trust? Yeah. So I think, I'll tell you one of the Bibles that I follow, and this, you know, it may be a little overwhelming for some, but Mary Meeker, um, who's an analyst uh, in the U.S., okay. she puts out her Internet Trends Report every year. It comes out the 1st of June every year. This is not for the faint of heart, but no, this is just course. one example. It's about a 250-page PowerPoint deck. Wow. But it's an example of the kind of thing to read to understand. She has no bias. She doesn't work for anybody. But she talks about each of these major trends. What's happening with artificial intelligence? What companies are playing in it? Who's going to be affected? What's going to shift? So reading these kinds of things, you know, the McKinsey Quarterly, you can get the app for free on your iPad, and it talks about all these different things that are happening. What's happening in technology? So here's an example. If you think about what you do with Siri on your iPhone or Alexa or whoever you, yeah. whoever you use um, <laughs> and the power of what they're able to do. So I don't have an executive assistant as I work on Cashflow Cookbook. I do everything with Siri. Okay, so, so you're talking to Siri all and the time. asking stuff. Uh, make a note of this, call so-and-so, Great. remind me to follow up with Bo next week, whatever. But you think about the complexity of things she can handle. Mm. Now think about what you're doing with a call center. So how far apart do you think Siri and Alexa are from a call center agent? So we're calling in and speaking to her like a, a, the robot voice in the call center. I think that's it. We're knocking on the door. Have you seen what Google's doing with it? If you think about mm, the power of yeah. Siri, so you think about a Siri for business and Alexa for business. Now, what, ha- what does that mean? So the company's providing that. This is going to take off. There's no question about it. Fully burdened call center agent, $70,000 a year. Mm. You had 8,000 of them. You could put $5 million, $500 million to the bottom line. Sure. Now, Horrible disruption in the labor force. Of course, and not advocating. Hopefully, for people it. are seeing this coming. Though <clears throat> you got to prepare. It's a reality, right? Yeah. Huge impact. Lots of social challenges that come with it. Just from the business perspective, though, I look at it and I say, okay, companies with large call centers are about to have this massive windfall. Now they're not going to see all of the call center agents go away or move into other roles. But there's going to be a big transformation that's going to happen. So that's just one example of things that are happening. You know, if I go back five years ago, six years ago, started thinking about e-commerce, and no question, Amazon coming on strong. Now, is Amazon going to be the winner? Is somebody else going to be the winner? I didn't know back then, mm-hmm. but what I knew is there's going to be a lot of boxes moving around. So who moves boxes? 
FedEx and UPS. Ah, I right? see. So you want to be that that bridge keeper, the toll keeper. So you know, and that's played out really well, right? You've got increasing uh, violent weather, right, happening hmm. all around the world. Who plays there? So a company called Oriented Strand Board started buying them. As you can see, this global warming and so as you have to rebuild after hurricanes, you need chipboard, oriented strand board. You look and at the TV news. This was all speculation on your part. Yeah. But based on educated. Well, speculation, but built on very powerful trends mm-hmm. that you can see are going to happen. So, and the information about all of these shifts and what's happening, it's all out there. But what I would recommend is know these shifts and think about any company you're interested in investing or something that mm-hmm. someone else is recommending. But then you've got to run it through this filter. Sure. That says, hey, is this thing going to get sideswiped by a bad trend or is it on trend? So would I invest in, you know, most retailers? I, I would tend to avoid them because I think the, the crystal ball looks a little hazy. How's that going to okay, work? Okay, yeah. But I invest in, you know, shopping center companies. I, I don't, not comfortable. Kind of the Are they going to go away? No. Yeah. But I think there's definitely a move where no question. They're not going to explode. They're yeah. not going get, to get much, much bigger. Yeah. And so... This is, you know, this sounds like a, it's a bit more advanced for someone who is, first of Bigger all, discussion. if you like doing the research, yep. right, and you want to get involved, and, and if you do have the idea that you want to you wanna choose your stocks and maybe do some value investing or whatever it may be, then yeah, do the research. You're giving a really good example of, I am interested in this and I'm, I'm getting, gaining knowledge mm-hmm. so that I can do this correctly. Mm-hmm. And, but if you're not there, I wouldn't say just go ahead and... Get, I'd say get, get, a finan- get a financial advisor. Get an advisor. for many, many people, you need that discipline to stay with something. So if you're doing it on your own, stock market drops by 10%. What yeah. are you going to do now? Are you going to sell everything? No. Are you going to have the fortitude to care? Or are you going to double down and buy more? Yeah, I mean, everybody's okay. different. It's hard. Everybody's different, right? and it's hard. So I think for many, many people, they need a really good financial advisor. There's other ways of doing it in terms of a basket of exchange-traded funds. Yes, and, and what you were talking about in terms of what the future, you know, mm-hmm. I just uh, had Raj Lala from Evolve ETFs on the show, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, they're doing thematic ETFs. So yep. if you're talking about auto innovation, if you like that as the future, well, you can take a more balanced <laughs> approach to it by buying shares at an ETF yep. as opposed to feeling you have Individual to pick the right stocks. companies, right? So yeah. there's that. And then, of course, there's just more generalized market-based ETFs, index funds, and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's uh, you know, not everybody is, uh, is cut out for this, right? No. And, uh, you know, Carl Richards says uh, financial advisor is the person between you and stupid, yep. right? Yeah, And yep. yeah, even if like, so even for yourself, right? You know, you, even though you're very knowledgeable, there are emotions at play. Yeah. And like you said, the financial advisor can help, you know, or just somebody like I'm, I'm a personal finance coach. It's accountability. It's yep. someone to bounce ideas off and say, is this ridiculous? Or is this, is this, does this make sense for what I told you my goals are? Yep. Like, is this yep. going to, or am I going to get there? Right. And, uh, I, can I actually get 20% return? Somebody told me I could get this guaranteed. You yep. know, is this, yep. <laughs> this is not possible. So when you talk about the cash flow cookbook items, yep. you pick 7% mm-hmm. return over mm-hmm. 10 years. And why, why would you pick that? Uh, as because you think that's achievable for anyone who's doing yeah. a balanced so, uh, portfolio? Yeah, so the whole premise, cash flow cookbook, it's about um, these 60 really interesting ways of saving on recurring expenses. 
And in the book, to help people understand why that's so powerful, these recurring expenses, I talked about, hey, what's it worth to you in 10 years? What's it worth to you in 20 years? Mm -hmm. If you don't like my assumptions, there's worksheets in the book, very simple. Sure, you can you put, put in your own, own assumptions, okay, well, and then you great. see what it's worth to you. Yeah, nice. Then you get to the issue of, hey, what's the right uh, percent to put it in? Well, if you're coming out of debt, and if you have a lot of credit card debt, and you're paying 20 or 22% oh. or whatever, the 7% is crazy conservative. <laughs> and if you can pay down that debt faster, you know, you can triple or more yeah, the that's numbers right. that are in the book. Hopefully you don't now, have that much debt. Hopefully not. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see. Now, if the case is, hey, can, what, can I really make 7% investing? Um, I absolutely believe that you can. I think that's very doable. In fact, if you look at the track record of the stock market mm -hmm. over the last 20 years, what, what's it been doing? About 7%. And even even going back, I think I looked, I had uh, in a blog post, I have a stat from 1950 to 2009. Probably 7 or 7%. 7%, yep. exactly. And that's, you know, but that's in hindsight. How do we know that it's going to keep going? Like that? Oh, you don't. And we that's don't. that's the fun of it. <laughs> but you know what? Yeah, I think you have to have some faith on it. And the people who, you know, after 1930 and people got wiped out, yeah. the people who became incredibly wealthy are people who went back in in 1930. 29 in the stock sure, market sure. crash and they bought up everything they could find probably the same thing in 2010 or 2009 if it wasn't still going down right. at that point yeah same thing that happened right i think it's about staying with it it's about consistent investment and it's about finding that incremental money to keep investing every month putting money aside every month and if you get a raise great that's that much more money to be investing and putting aside why do you want to do that you want to do it so you harness the power of compound growth and you want to do it so you have financial freedom you mm -hmm. know i mean it's a great day today we're out here on a deck having a podcast having some fun it's a, it's like the middle of the it's a work day it's a work for day. everybody else right but there's no commute <laughs> you know we're out here enjoying the sunshine and and that's why you want to do it because you want to get to that financial freedom that's does right. it mean you're going to sit on the beach all day no you can do all kinds of things but you do it on your own terms and your money's working for you and i think that's a great place of happiness you know just to take my my example yeah. you know i'm not at the financial independence level uh you know because i'm 30 i'll be 38 in september right yep. it's uh, my 38th year and uh but I have the financial freedom right now because I saved up enough so that I could take some time to myself right. to work on these things that I've always wanted to do, right? Yeah. To be creative. And I'm only able to do this because I can afford it without it even touching my retirement savings, which is right great, right? Yeah. So it's like you, work, you can work hard for a bit and you don't have to be like ready to retire. You can just... You now have freedom to do the things and not be like dependent on this paycheck. And the, the stat about millennials or even other Canadians uh, of different ages being one paycheck away from you know, not being able to pay their mortgage. You know, if, if they didn't, if they got fired today and they couldn't find a job for a couple of weeks, like yep. that's ridiculous. Isn't well, it? I think it's about getting away from that state of being hemmed in where you know the paychecks come in whoops before you can get your hand on it it's gone to pay for this that and the other thing and so the whole idea of cash flow cookbook is hey hang on let's just take a look at these recurring expenses how do you prune them down with clever ways without having to sacrifice without a lot of effort and you carry on with your life but you you pry out more of these funds to build for your future because that is what people think right they think that cash flow cookbook i'm gonna have to give up this or this or that. And you know, David Bach gets a lot of flack for the latte factor. Yep. And also, the, speaking of the rates we were talking about, he uses 10% and he gets a lot of flack for mm -hmm. that too. He's mm -hmm. like, you know, nobody's going to get 10%, David. And uh, this is Automatic Millionaires yep. is yep. his book. And I saw him speak uh, um, in October in, in uh, Dallas. 
And he he clarified that <laughs> it's not about the it's not about lattes. It's you know I just use it as an example. And ten percent is just an idea. Like yeah. put your, like you said, put yeah. your own rate in the, the spreadsheet. You don't have to give up anything. It's yeah. just showing you how just like you're doing. How, like changing one little thing yeah. can add up over time, but but the multitude of things, right? Yep. Over time, and so so you have the financial section. We talked about that a little bit. We, we talked about you know saving on things that you can pay for with rewards. Is mm-hmm. that a, is that? Do you have other you know, things a, like that? There's a, there's a bit on that. I'll, let me go back to the latte one because sure, it's fun. Please, and I, and yeah. There's all this controversy, but yeah. I don't want to give up my latte. Very <laughs> funny story. It's not in the book, but. There was a woman I worked with. This, is, this will start like the usual story, but it's got a really yeah. interesting twist in it. There's a woman I worked with, and she, I was in a lot of meetings with her, and I'm going to guess she was earning maybe $60,000, $70,000 a year. And I'd be in a morning meeting with her, and she'd have the big, you know, Starbucks, Monte Grande, yeah. whatever it was. Probably, <laughs> let's call it six bucks. Sure. And then later in the day, she'd have another one. Right? Mm, yeah. And I kind of go, oh, that's interesting. And then every afternoon, she'd have a Coke and a bag of chips of some sort. Right? Wow. And I thought it was just one day. And then I realized that was her pattern. I started to watch her and I realized that's what she was doing. And so you can say, no, well, no, no, I really like to have my fancy coffee. And no problem with that. But what blew me away was what was in the lunchroom of this company. And what was there was this beautiful stainless steel coffee machine with the bean grinder on top. Wow. And you could select the roast and the beans or whatever. Yeah. And here's the kicker. It was a Starbucks <laughs> machine. Okay? And that's what I drank. Yeah. Right? So I just put my cup in. I drink it right out of the machine. Now, this is not a, a cheesy machine. It's a beautiful Starbucks machine. For the sure. coffee was terrific. I would challenge her. I didn't do it, but I wanted to challenge her to okay. a taste test yeah. of the $12 a day she was spending on coffee versus the stuff that comes out of the machine. And then, when you think about the Coke and chips, I won't even get into the nutritional... We could have a uh, whole diet that's, that's uh, another conversation whole thing. here. But, but yeah. if you had to have Coke and chips, I'd go to Costco, get a big case of it, and a case of chips. It's and true. Terrific savings. So if you do the math on what is going on there, if you work it out, it's about $300 a month. I'm talking to a friend of mine who owns a Midland Honda, and he says, $300 a month? He says, I could lease her a Civic for that. So <laughs> here she's doing something, which they give you the free stuff anyway. There's yeah. nothing to be giving up here. She could be in a Civic. Now, what's interesting is if you do the math on the $300 a month, if you push that over for 20 years, you get $151,000. Mm. Now, with $151, and some other investors, she might be able to buy a Honda dealership. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> With <laughs> nice. some debt. Uh, I bet you she could do that in 30 or 40 years. I right? think I just interviewed a guy who could help her get into real estate. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but that's a really significant amount of money. And it'd be really interesting to look at the rest of her mm-hmm. uh, entries in her uh, checking account. You know, where else is the money going? And, and uh, I don't know if you want to get into the psychology yes. behind all this, but mm. it's, you know, what I've realized is a lot of people need these things or the the ritual the routine yep. in order to compensate for the fact that they're working at nine to fives that they don't necessarily like that much yeah and so if you ask them to switch this up it's like you're taking away their their pleasures well in one way but they're just they're kind of unhappy in the first place yep. and that's why they're spending is there anything yep. like what what do we do about this well epidemic? I, I did a blog post on this very thing the cash flow cookbook and this whole thing the power of habit mm-hmm. and there's been great books book, written on it, way, yeah. it, it there is a book by that <laughs> title for sure and it's incredible and i remember i worked with someone once and he said to me 30 days makes a habit 
Okay. And if, take anything that you do in your life. So whether it's exercise, right? I mean, you know, that business of going out for a run, it's, it's kind of hard to get out there. But if you do it consistently, mm-hmm. once you start to do it, then the thing you miss is not running. Absolutely. Right? I, I need to run every couple of days. Right. I yeah. got to do it. I did the same thing. Mm-hmm. Biking, running, going to the gym, something. It becomes this positive addiction. So in that particular case, that coffee, if you took a, took a moment, actually looked at this business of $300 a month, I think it would be a bit of a game changer if she did a taste test on it. So you need all of these things, but we've been primed to think there's a multi, multi, multi-million dollar industry out there getting us so to big. buy things, getting us to think that we need, you know, you can't be driving an old minivan. You need to be driving a car that makes a bit of a statement. Mm-hmm. And so all of this stuff builds up. Well, it's no surprise that we have a hard time battling against that That's because right. the brilliant people who know the psychology and the messaging and the photography and the airbrushing and everything else getting us to buy all of these things. Now, if you can break out of that and think it through a little bit smarter, you're in a different kind of a world. You know, I, I so I come from a background of a, a long gambling addiction. I know how hard it is okay. to get out of an addiction. Yeah. And so I think, I think the most that we can do is talk about it. I mean, I know that I can't sit in a room with people who actually want to uh, recover from an addiction <clears throat> and say anything to them that will help. I, I've right. tried. I've tried saying, like, I'm like, hey, I, I've been through that, I've been through that, I've been through all these stages, mm-hmm. here's what you do, it yeah. doesn't work, right. right? But if we just keep talking about it, writing your book as you did, yeah. having these conversations, I think people then pick up on, we're, we're going to make the consumerism and the overspending hopefully less <clears throat> of the norm, or at least make a louder voice about the the it's okay to not be like the joneses it's not it's okay to miss out on this or that you're not going to be chastised by the world well and it's funny because when you when you talk to people who are in the personal finance world um i had lunch with um rob brown Mm -hmm. from wealthing like rabbits great guy and he mentioned he's driving a what was it now a 2008 honda Great. Right? And, um, and Doug Hoyes. Doesn't suppress Doug Hoyes, who you know, uh, Debt Free and 30 and his podcast. Yeah, and he podcast. says, oh, I, I drive a Honda, right? Nothing to I drive a Honda. I got a 2010 Mazda. It's out there. Right. Yeah. And if you think about it, it's interesting. It was on with Wolfgang Klein, okay. who's, uh, I think, an SVP at Canaccord. And uh, he's got a great uh, podcast. He calls himself the Wolf of Bay Street. Fantastic Amazing. guy. Yeah, okay. He's driving a 13-year-old car. Mm. And he says, I don't care. He says, I've never made money on cars, right? Yeah. And so, but when you're young, you think, oh, you know, I got to have a, you know, what are my friends going to think about your car? It doesn't matter what your friends think about your car. You want to be in a situation where you're doing what you want to do when you're in your 30s or your 40s or your 50s and you're not grinding it into this monthly paycheck. It is a theme. It's a theme of uh, people who either built wealth earlier or who understand how to do do it now. the it's just point A to point B the car as yep. long as it works yeah. you know you want to consider things like safety yep. that kind of stuff you don't yep. want to be driving something across the country that's going to break down every two seconds is that one of the things of uh, buying a used car do you talk about that yeah I think that's yeah I think that's in there. there's a lot of recipes in there of course uh, yeah. but you know all of these things there's, there's smarter ways of doing it they give me an interesting one in transportation it's working downtown and strangely the company didn't pay my parking but okay. whatever every that's company weird. has their own thing yeah for sure and so I parked underneath the building right mm. you or nothing to that. 31 bucks a day yep. downtown Toronto. Terrible, terrible stuff. And, uh, you know, you count out 31 bucks, so it comes the card every day, you do your thing. And then uh, a woman I worked with said, well, you, I saw you parking under the building. And I go, well, yeah. And she goes, well, why would you do that? And I thought, what do you do? And she goes, well, I just park kitty corner 100 yards away. There's a grocery store. 
if you're in before nine and out, you know, at six or whatever, it's 20 bucks a day. Okay. And I thought, boom, that's interesting. So there's, you know, $11. Then I found um, a website, bestparking.com. Yeah. And it actually showed, have you seen that? It shows you the map. Oh, I use it whenever I'm going downtown. It's brilliant. And all the parking all around there, you can look at the daily or the monthly rates. So if you're you're paying to park monthly or daily, whatever it is you're doing, have a peek at this. If you're doing it habitually, you find a place that's cheaper, you're going to walk 100 yards. Right. I use the Rover app. Okay. I don't know if you've ever uh, ever seen that, but it's like the, the Uber yep. of parking. Uh-huh. And I'll go somewhere downtown where it's 30 bucks a day, and someone's just, it's like 75 cents an hour because it's With nobody's driveway? using their, yeah, their mm-hmm. driveway. Like if I say I go to Kensington, yep. you can just park, and they have the little Rover sign on the side of the building. It's really, I, I'm really hoping these things are, are more uh, prevalent yeah. uh, in the future because... Yeah, it's in uh, urban environments like this, you, you get killed by parking, and it's it's almost not worth it. Like, I'm happy that I didn't have to pay to park in your street. Uh, hopefully, I <laughs> We'll find out. I, we'll find out later yeah, when yeah, I get yeah. a ticket. Yeah, you don't. But, uh, yeah, exactly. But, you know, the GO train, it'll cost me just under $11 each way. So if I know I'm going to have to go somewhere downtown and pay parking mm-hmm. for, say, even the day, yep. or even for a couple of hours, the GO train is actually the better bet, not, mm-hmm. not uh, including the environmental savings uh, mm-hmm. that I'm putting in. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's about considering these things, right? Like, I intentionally know how much the GO train is going to cost me, yeah. and I know that it sometimes might be cheaper to take the car, so I just have those thoughts. Right. Just as long as that's always kind of going through in your head. That's the difference. A lot of people, they don't have those thoughts, mm-hmm. you know. <clears throat> they, um, they need to park. Well, they just park right underneath the building, right? They need a coffee. They, they go buy one. So it's about getting a little bit smarter. And, you know, you could, could you curate all the stuff yourself? You could. I spent two years gathering up all the ideas for Cashflow Cookbook. They're in there. You did so the you work run for through, us. You do the checklist yeah. and see what you need to tune up. And so, yeah, like you said, not everything in the book is going to apply to everyone. Of course, different stages of life and different yep. uh, life situations. But with, uh, with 60 recipes in there, you're going to find something. Like I said, I listened and I did the SO thing uh, right away. Yep. And uh, I still waiting for my car to come in. But, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I did buy SO today. Yep. And they're even adding PC Optimum points actually yep. in the summer. So yep. that I'm already that, which yep. is great. It's like... You know, take advantage of things. Do you talk about credit cards at all and credit yeah, card rewards? I, you know what, I do. But I find um, a lot of personal finance writers, they obsess over which is the best uh, credit card reward points. If you do the math on it, I mean, a typical reward is about 1.75%. So if you're okay. spending $5,000 in a month, yeah. you're getting $75 of rewards. Okay. If and only if you pay the credit card off in full which every month. Which you should do all the time. Of course. <laughs> but... Lots of people don't. No, I mean, the that's stats true. say that they don't. In uh, which case, you don't get the $75 reward. You're paying some exorbitant amount of interest. So I'd say on the credit card, the first thing you do is to say, well, how much do you actually spend in a month? And if the answer is 1000 or two, you know, you're maybe talking about $20 of monthly reward. And what's the difference going to be from credit card A to credit card B? Not a lot. Yeah. So, you know, is it worth a look? Yeah. But I think that whole credit card rewards and coupon clipping, those are the smallest things. And they're fairly Interesting. high effort. There's much easier You're ones Right, because people do go there first. And, you know, get your rewards, get free money. And it's true, you do get free money if you follow the rules. But you're right, it's not as free money as uh, changing one tiny thing that you do. Yeah. Like if you're going to go buy it. 
know, it's the it's the uh, <laughs> it's the penny wise and pound foolish concept, oh, it, isn't it? Totally. And, is. and I feel like the, the that's a huge theme in your book is yep. everybody you know focusing on things that we think are the big savers. Yep. But and there's not. things all over the place. I mean, if you you know look all back here, you've got a fairly lengthy driveway which I share with a neighbor, and we used to pay snow clearing a plow guy to come and plow. It was about seven hundred dollars each household for the year. Okay. And the problem is they come after you've already tried to plow your way out yeah. to go to work. They show up at 9 o'clock. <laughs> exactly. And, and, of course, they get busy when there's a lot of snow, but that's when you need them there. So uh, Peter, my neighbor, and I so why don't we just buy a snowblower, which Genius. we did. And, of course, we bought it in June at, okay, at yeah, Home Depot, smart. which is where you get it. Because you're planning. Yeah. You're so always thinking We've got the $1,350 snowblower for $800, and we split Perfect. it. So it's $400 each. We've had the thing now for about five years. Each of us probably does three plowings. Takes, it takes about 40 minutes. So 40 minutes for each of us, three times a season, two of us, that's a total of six times. And it, it costs literally nothing. I mean, I don't think we'd use $3 of gas in a season yeah. of, of snow blowing. Um, so there's a simple example. Yeah, that one is a little bit more work, but we actually get the thing plowed. One of us will get up early. We split even in odd days, and, um, and it's done. I feel like I'm going to come back and there's going to be a bunch of rover signs uh, along your driveway. Just I don't maximizing. know about that. I don't know about that. I'm more interested to try rover when I'm parking but somewhere. Pe- people, do, people can make a lot of money. And, and it's things like money. that. If you yeah. realize you have a resource, yep. like a parking spot, yep. well, now there are things. like I mean, if you have a car, you can make money doing Uber. I mean, there's other things involved in it, but there's a lot of ways you know the two ways to save or pay down debt or whatever is either make more money or yep. cut down your expenses and uh-huh. so you're focusing on cutting down the expenses it's yep. often hard to make more money and you know when people do they, they 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 spend it they just spend more money well whatever you do i mean there is one piece in here it's interesting in in canada where the tax system works is you can earn ten thousand dollars tax-free so you know what i would say is in many cases <clears throat> you've got one spouse working the other one who is at home or at home you know, after the kids but hey is there some sort of little side business whether it's a bit of dog walking or whatever sure because it's tax-free mm. so if you could earn that ten thousand dollars tax-free in some sort of a side hustle whatever it is putting ten thousand dollars a year into debt repayment or ten thousand dollars a year of incremental investment that's pretty material that makes a big difference and the fact that you can do it without paying taxes in canada is fabulous that's great and, and then I would go further to say, get a whole bunch of dividend income so you don't have to pay any taxes at all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if that's all you make. But that's another podcast. Yeah. So Cashflow Cookbook, cashflowcookbook.com. Cashflowcookbook.com. You can go on there. You can subscribe. You get all the blog posts, which is all free. And it's incremental content to what's actually in Cashflow oh, awesome. Cookbook, and, the and, book. And you're going to keep up with this. This is... Uh, this is your main focus right now. Yeah, 100%. It's the focus. So the book itself, you can get the book on cashflowcookbook.com, and it's also available at amazon.ca. Perfect. It's really great to have. You don't have to read it cover to cover, just like any recipe book. You're not going to go in and do all the recipes from start to finish, right? Well, that's the idea. You don't have to grind through some boring anecdote and story. You can go in and say, hey, I want to take a look at my transportation expenses. You flip through. Doesn't You don't own a car? Great. You skip the ones that relate to a car. You take a look at lifestyle. There's things that aren't applicable to you. You don't have to read it. But could you find the value for the $20 of the book? I guarantee you can find the value there. Just as a final note, yeah. if someone were to go, if you could tell someone, just go do this one simple thing right now. I mean, other than the SO Extra Car that we yeah. talked about. Yeah. SO a lot of press. Yeah. 
Uh, you know, what would you tell someone to do that, that wouldn't take very long that might save them a couple of bucks a month? Oh, you know, there's so, um, so many different ones to, uh, to take a look at. Depends so much on, on their circumstance. One that was probably the most interesting one to me is clothing. Okay. And the stat that I found fascinating is that we only ever wear, on average, 20% of the clothing that we buy. I totally agree with that. Right? Yeah. And if you think about it, it makes sense because when you go in your closet every day, you don't say, hey, let me get the, my dowdiest uh, <laughs> clothes to wear. You say, hey, what's the one I'd look the best in today? Yeah. And so you keep working these favorites all the time. And the other 80% languishes until the springtime, at which point you sell it in your yard sale for five cents on the dollar. Done. So I think if there's one quick one to do, I would do an inventory of your closet and get the piece that you don't have that lets you wear more of your clothes. So you've got the brown belt that's been languishing because mm-hmm. you don't have any brown shoes. Then go buy yourself a nice pair of brown shoes so then you're going to use that brown belt. And when you buy a piece of clothing, buy the thing that you need. Buy a good quality one and take the time to make sure it fits. Because usually when you look in your closet, you go, oh, I could wear the blue shirt, but it's a little baggy on me. Mm. And, you know, the gray pants, oh, they're too tight. I'm not going to wear those. So take the time and really select your pieces and don't go shopping for the sake of shopping go shopping when you need something i'm a big fan of online because that saves the parking and the gas oh yeah yeah. and everything else (laughs) and away you go so that would be clothing is worth a look i um seriously i just got a suit from indochino okay which is super clever so they take all your measurements you go to the mall once and then if you want a shirt you pick the fabric and they've already got all your measurements it's completely tuned to you everything's custom made nice. but it's not at that price point yeah so, which, uh, if you go into a bespoke place uh, in the financial way district to buy. Yeah, yeah yeah so yep. do an audit of your clothing yep. do an audit of your financial life just you know take it slow yeah just look at look at all look at anything that you do and I would give this advice to anybody look at anything that involves money in your life whether you're looking to change it or not you might just have this just little light bulb that comes up and says yeah, I could do that, but the the book is there to guide you along. So well, you know what? Fine. And the idea is, you just you look for these tweaks. You don't give up a great lifestyle, but That's you find right. these simple tweaks, and then you right away you get it working for you, paying down debt or investing. All right. Well, yeah. thanks for coming on the show, Gord. This yeah, is really good. Thanks for having me in your place. Real pleasure. Thanks so much. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It would mean a lot to me, and it only takes a few seconds. Don't forget to head over to bowhumphreys.com slash giveaway and enter to win one of the five signed copies of Cashflow Cookbook. I watch Gord sign them all so I can verify their authenticity. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Personal Finance Show. Next week is my Future of Payments episode featuring Sam Mulligan from MobiWave, Chris Chan from Duello, Lawrence Cook from NanoPay, and Sue Whitney from Payments Canada.